Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Outrun Show. Uh, today we're talking about the best tools in the gym to learn flips on and how to find the best mentor on this episode of the Outrun Show. Some synth improv there. Some synth beatboxing. Justin, can you hit me with that? I like that. That's all right. Up and over. Up and away. Uh, all right. So we're getting closer to the sound every time. Yeah. Do you guys remember Police Academy? No. Never saw Police Academy. And then who else? And then on Spaceballs too. There was an act. Well, well, who is it? Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow, for because he used to do the the beatboxing and the like sort of tech. Like he would do imitations, but of like machinery and technology and mm-hmm. in uh, you'd probably recognize the rhetoric cycles on Spaceballs. He'd, they'd be like, okay, you know, you know, start the scan or something like that, and he's and they'd be like looking at him like, but nothing's actually happening. It's just he's making noises. Right, exactly. So so great. <clears throat> um yeah i'm sure there's some sort of like super clip of him hitting all those impressions back then it was super impressive but now i feel like other things just g- in general tech technology and um social media and the shareability of people um which kind of leads back to our our topic of mentorship that we'll get to in our second here it it just raises the bar so high like the things that were yeah. impressive even like 10, five, 10 years ago, or especially in the 90s, was like. But I worry sometimes that, like, so, like, right now, if you see a clip of somebody doing like a standing double back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at it and you're like, wow. It's still like, as athletes, we're like, that's pretty impressive. But I've straight up, like, have heard, like, muggles, which is our loving term for those who don't do parkour movement, um, for those of you listening, will, like, watch that and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's incredible. Yeah. That's mind-blowing. But I wonder if we've actually, and we know this, like, we've had, like, African tribesmen who, like, you know, as a part of their, like, you know, rite of passage or whatever, they're dancing all night, they're running, and they're doing these, like, crazy things, right, have probably been doing standing double backs for several hundred years now, if not longer, right? Yeah. And so I wonder if now, just with technology and the shareability of it, it's just now that we see it for Either a lot of those things that captured. we're like, Oh my gosh, look what people can do now is like, no, people have been doing that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We just only now know about it. Yeah. And oftentimes it's like speculation too, and that, but that's hard because you could make, I think that happens a lot in um, Chinese uh, like martial arts or just like martial arts in general, where people will, will start to start telling like, you know, fish tales about like their, you know abilities and then there's just no understanding of like so there's it's it's interesting because it's the discoverability of like what is possible i think it's still exciting to see it captured and we should celebrate it now because it's we could make the assumption but you don't know until you've actually seen it recorded um but yeah there's certainly people out there our ancestors are not getting credit for the double backs of the past no in fact (laughs) fortunately i think a lot of people recognize because i remember when the clips came out of like the first couple of people in our modern era that were hitting standing double backs yeah and people were like like that youtube clip was clickbaity of course because they want the views but it was like 
first ever standing double back. Yeah. And the comment section was just like, no, nah, people in Africa have been doing standing double backs for quite a while now. It's right. Just a, just, just a dance, right? Yeah. It's just like a cool trick. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people right now are recognizing, like, there's a lot of cool stuff out there that we've done before we just now only capture. So right. I don't think you get to claim first ever in the world unless it's like first ever iPhone 12 off the market. I felt that way about aliens. <laughs> I don't know how aliens before the show started, but it was, it was like, you know, what really made me not believe in aliens is uh, um, that instantly, you know, the X-Files came out in the 90s and then you'd get these TV shows where it'd be like, Area 51, you know, all this like hype. And you'd just be like, oh man, this stuff is right on the cusp. If only we had some magical way to capture anything that happened at any moment and yeah. then we'd know. And then we got it and no aliens showed up. Or they showed up and there's just so much content you can't tell what's real. I don't know. I mean, the Air Force did release right. those clips. Yeah. Which is kind of weird that they would have done that. It, I just think it's uh, well, so they so they acknowledge UFOs, and you can link this one out. This is not like conspiracy. This is not your uncle's Facebook page, right? Because you know he's in the know, right? Um, <laughs> the it's it's like they just decided to say, look, we have UFOs and other legitimate UFOs. Of our it's world. just an unidentified right. flying object, right? right? So, not the like we've identified aliens. They're just like we don't know what it was that was flying. Yeah, and I think that the right now what the what people are openly saying is that the technology is not of this world is what they say but i still just think it's space birds or transformers wasn't it like metals though that they found like yeah it was material. like materials right material. like, we don't know how this is made yeah but that's what no that's, that's <laughs> just transformers right <laughs> okay oh I see. you know what i'm saying yeah, which yeah, becomes yeah. like more and more now we're getting off topic but becomes <laughs> more and more realistic as we see the development of like ai yeah. and you know like robots from you know boston mechanics or uh, Boston Dynamics, Boston like, Dynamics, yeah, right. The combination of that and plus Neuralink. like AI plus Neuralink from Tesla right. is like there's a there's a perfect storm coming on the horizon. It seemed super unreasonable five even five years ago, and now you're just like, yeah. Have you but, guys watched The Expanse yet? On the Amazon? Expanse. No. Oh, okay. We yeah. can't keep talking about aliens. We had watched The Expanse. All right, I'll check it out. But I, I have like been watching Transformers since I was like five, so it. I'm just saying, pretty sure that it was like a Decepticon. <laughs> Dude, yeah, hopefully they're all Autobots. Mm-hmm. That's, fingers crossed. Anyways, so let's talk about uh, <laughs> flips. Speaking of technology and tools and like all the things that we have that can uh, both destroy us or make us better, <laughs> we wanted to talk. We had a little bit of discussion about like yeah. what tool kind of in the gym do we think is really your best? Like if you had to pick one tool in the gym to learn your flipsies, which one? is your go-to and which one would you throw out we can add that one as a bonus (laughs) so man i actually well break down the categories first yeah oh uh, like of all facilities just general well let's uh start with the ones that we have we have the foam pit um so that's just a giant you know box above or below ground with a bunch of foam and uh an air trick which is a i think that thing's like 13 inches tall inflated inflatable air mattress yeah it's a giant it's for a sleepover for like 100 people yep it's literally just an air mattress uh and then there's springboard so oh and then i would also include like a like a like blocks like gymnastic blocks i think that's like a category you mean like like spotting blocks i think we can lump in movable like spotting blocks as one category because you can have those without 
any of the other pieces of equipment. Well, and because you can buy a lot of spotting blocks for the cost of any of those other three. Mm. Yes. And you also have uh, trampolines. Yep. Both the yeah, Euro yes. Tramps, which are the tightly woven ones. They look like mesh, but they pop you really high. Um, then you have the uh, the mini tramps, which are just the smaller. I would lump those in with the spotting block, like yeah. movable yeah. tramps. Movable little, like. But trampolines punchy, definitely don't trippy so. things. And then you have, like, stunt bags. Yes. Which, yeah. Which I would lump in with a foam pit. Yeah. Really? Bags. Any sort of pit. Yeah. Because they're like a pit thing. So. But I honestly, if I had to only have one, it would be an in-ground pit, I think. Wait, wait. Oh, wow. So you're saying you only have one, you go with in-ground pit. Yes. Okay, well, before you say why, let's go around. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to be on the same that. page. <laughs> and yep. then I feel like we could talk, someone talked for like 30 minutes on one thing. Okay, Jesse. Um, that's tough because I... Not like a huge acrobat kind of guy okay take, take a second go, to think or because i can have mine if, I, if you want to think about it for another second i would no. go with spring floor spring floor yeah, i'd go spring floor oh man now you're making me second guess <laughs> well here's this is why here, this may things. change travis okay. not to uh you know i don't want to call you out here but this may change in 10 years when i'm your age this is true because i well yeah you go yeah you're right uh, i'm gonna say um for the purpose of learning acrobatics and flips i would say that the air track is the is the one i would go to yeah there's like no i think we have to reasonably though like measure because if it if it's an at you could theoretically have an at yeah yeah air track or air mattress um right. sleeping sleepover pump mattress whatever right. you want to call yeah. them right we don't want to call brands out. air trick is a brand oh it's a it, yeah they they're like kleenex they didn't make a job to with say it. the name so we're just gonna call no we paid them more than hmm. but anyways uh, <laughs> that's been nice but anyways i would say that you kind of have to cap it within the budget because you could be like well an air trick the size of a spring floor is technically a spring floor but that would cost you 60 grand it depends on what you put on top of the springs though because i know those gymnastics like the flooring that they put on top of the spring floor is probably more expensive than the actual me- mechanics underneath than the springs now i think uh your cost is primarily lumped in with your your springs and they get the pretty close connection. actually i think you're right yeah they get pretty close. You think so? well, pretty close i mean that's pretty reasonable i i guess we're not we're not talking okay so the exception of like some sort of anti-gravity fan system that exists only in like dubai or something yeah we'll, we'll, i won't go that far it's pretty yeah. reasonable to have a big old air okay i don't know i think oh, well let's what was the budget let's see the, the spring floors usually run you for a full-size spring floor oh gonna run full you size like a 41 grand, by right? 41 yeah. Oh yeah. more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Run you 12 Fifteen years. to twenty-five. No way. In those Gibson catalogs or whatever they are, they're like well, those weird. are pre-made setups for nubs that don't know how to set up a spring floor. Oh, we're getting scrappy. They're dude. just they're pretty equal to the an air trick of our size. I would say square footage wise, or per yeah. square foot, they're probably almost the exact same price. Yeah. Foam pit actually. Okay, so we're gonna say within doing... reason because yeah, I mean, that's most people I mean. probably don't care about that. Maybe they do. <laughs> taking yeah, we're taking notes over here. <laughs> Stop that. Well, let me tell you right now, if you try and build the stuff we're talking about, you're talking about a lot of money. So save your pennies for yes. your basement, Junior. Um, All right. But anyways, and then foam pit, uh, assuming you're not going in ground, might actually be your cheapest option out of the three of them, or the four or five. Yeah, you know? I think our trampoline one. is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Too. Oh, I think it's kind of... Anyway, okay. All right, so they're all within reason because we yeah. somehow acquired them. <laughs> 
So over time, over time, yes. uh, one by one. <laughs> yeah. So for for use though, what what do you? So uh, yeah, I do pick yeah, because yeah, you get you do get the claim the first on that. Because I feel like it's uh, it's it's pretty easy to learn majority of flips where you land back on your feet with low impact if you're doing it right and you're using progress uh, progressive skills. So things like a backflip never really should be thrown like like a huck. Like you can always have something in between, like a back handspring. If you're trying to learn a back handspring, you can learn this cartwheel that goes backward, makako. Um, so I feel like for most flips, I can actually just learn them on something that's semi-soft like grass if I take my time. But there are some moves where I know I'm going to eat it and neither the air trick or the spring floor helps me out with that. The pit is the one where I can literally throw something and, and, and fail on purpose, like land on my side and be safe with it. And I can experiment with that. But you can't do that with anything else besides a super squishy mat. And then you're going to need other things so that you can jump off of it onto those mats. So I think the pit allows me to do the things that are the hardest for me to learn. The moves that scared me the most, uh, the moves I understand the least, the pit helps me the most. Okay. But the air trick is something you can go on for for like a week and train on it and sometimes you wouldn't even know it, right? So I understand that that one's pretty good for like actually um, finishing out moves. And uh, so that's why I feel like it was my initial uh, pick because we learned so many flips when we got it. Like the second we got it, like the first year, everybody had new flips. So but I think pit, I think pit is the, the one that helps me the most when I'm the scared the most. I'm a scared little boy, <laughs> shivering. <laughs> Shivering over the flips, <laughs> like, like burning. <laughs> yeah, it's also thirty degrees right now, so that yeah, could yeah, be a yeah. reason why you're shivering. So yeah, I'm excited. Can we tell people what our new? Pitch no, is? <sighs> hold on. Okay. I don't know. I just felt like saying no to that because I yeah. wanted to. I wanted to. Yeah, we'll wait. You we'll get wait. excited and then you want to spill I beans. Do. I really do. You got to build up to this stuff. I just, a couple of these parents know that they're like, "Can you just tell me?" No. Are you sure? Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you want the inside scoop, just DM Justin and he'll probably spill the beans. So it's not a big deal. Um, if you, yeah, sorry, you guys, it's part of the, the, the drama. We can't tell you what happens in season two, halfway through season one. That we wouldn't be any fun that way. That's true. Spoiler alert. Are uh, you going? Okay. You going? Uh, yeah, I guess. So yeah, spring, Max, right? spring floor. Well, I was going to go this way because it's, it kind of seems like. Okay, that's fine. That's a logical from super squishy to semi squishy. So, oh, that does make sense. All right, I like your logic. Uh, so the spring floor, or not? Sorry, the air track because I feel like it is the closest thing to like you know anti gravity. I mean, it's it still is a surface. It will bite. Like if it's inflated all the way, it's sometimes the, can hurt worse than spring floor if you if you slaps. fall. Yeah, it slaps you around a little bit. But the ability to sort of, um, but it is still less impact and it gives you a little more punch than, it's like just a step above the spring floor when it comes to bouncy and squishy, but it still kind of feels like you're on a surface. And, um, and for me, I just unlocked or got consistent the vast majority of, um, of my flips probably on the, the air track and I'd, I've been somebody who'd been working on you know like a b-twist since you know my late teens at least right and none of that stuff I didn't iron out that stuff until um my 30s and I think that's because the 
the consistency of being able to train on that and the sustainability of it. Yeah. Like I've knock on wood or whatever that is supposed to be. I don't think I've ever been injured on the air track and for the amount of volume I've spent on it, that's a lot of volume. Like I would say it's probably the training tool I've used the most outside of a spring floor. And, uh, and, and also the other thing I like about it is it's if, I mean, maybe with an in-ground um, foam pit, when I've trained on those, I get, you can kind of get the like run up to it. Right. So you do have that sort of relationship, but once you eat, let's say you do land the, the trick in the pit, even if you land it perfectly, it's kind of really far from reality. It's more of like you, 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 okay. Now you kind of understand the movement enough to be able to land it, but you didn't really like do it on, on anything that resembles like flat earth. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're, uh, with, but with the eight, with the air track, like, you could pretty much just do all your tricks on it. And yeah, somebody would come along and they'd say, yeah, but you're just doing that on the air track. It's not real, right? And I'm like, cool, go throw tricks on gravel because that's how I, how I value things, right? It's like the experience of seeing it is still there, right? Yeah. And yeah, you can kind of be like, well, he's on an air track. Like, okay, but you still saw it. It was cool, right? Yeah, it was a cool combo. And then doing it feels so much better and safer. Like nothing feels as like intense as like landing like gnarly tricks on concrete or even grass right but there's a lot of risk there mm-hmm. that gets taken out um and then i would say the ability for multiple people to work on it is there on air track so you get that can still get that sort of like step onto the platform right and that that community aspect's a little more present i haven't noticed that with pits i've definitely noticed that with spring floor i think that's definitely there um yeah and i think that the reason i didn't say spring floor and you could you could you could um answer to this is just that you know, spring floors are pretty close to, to to grass if the grass is softer, right? As far as like, if you crash, you you're gonna bounce a little bit, but you used to, like, you're at that like, maybe like that's maybe an air track is like you're twenty percent away from reality, but you know the spring floor brings you closer to like ten from like true reality on the ground or mm-hmm. something like that. Because you can you can still punch on the on the a on the at and it'll send you. But the other ironic thing is that although you're safer on the air track, I think that some moves, like even like a B twist, that doesn't rely on punches to get you up to set, um, is actually easier to execute on a spring floor or flat ground. Yeah, you want a quick response. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they're just scarier. And that's you have to get over that. So I think that's that's my reason. I, if I, I I think that I believe personally after you know training. Um, as long as I have with training flips and stuff, just in the in the um, maturity, I I think I could probably t- continue to train on an air track until well into my sixties, probably. Yeah, probably longer. Yeah, depending on the technology. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm <laughs> waiting for my. Probably not not as. I'm exciting, waiting for but... my uh, uh, stem cell epi pins. Then yeah, yeah. Get done with the session. Ooh, the verse is no good no more. New bursa. Ah. <laughs> I think I would go with spring floor because it is the closest to reality and thus translates the best external, which is kind of, I guess it depends on what your goal is, right? Like if your goal is, I just want to move and have fun, then a foam pit's probably great. Right? Yeah. Or some, uh, some sort of pit is fine. Because your goal is just to have fun and enjoy the movement aspect of it. If your goal is to like mitigate risk, 
but still be able to move, then I think an air trick's great. Obviously, the goal is to not just learn a trick, but to own it and master it. And I think a spring floor is your best result for that. I also, um, what you don't get from a pit or an air trick is you don't get any sort of impact. And that's obviously the goal is you don't want the impact. But as a result of that, you're not getting any like bone density, density. stimulus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you try and translate from like, oh, I spend, you know, 15 hours a week on an air trick and I have these things really dialed down and then I go to grass, your your bones are not ready for that because they just haven't taken the yeah. impact that they need to. And a spring floor obviously reduces the impact significantly because I will throw some stupid stuff on the air trick and I land or on the spring floor and I like bounce and I do the like flop thing. And I'm like, ah, and then I get up and I try it again, right? Which I wouldn't do outside of the grass. Um, so it does reduce the impact, but there's still enough impact that I'm still getting the same stimulus that I need if I wanted to translate it outside. It's not so jarring and abrupt for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that matters. I think your progression or your speed of progression is going to be significantly slower if you don't have access to a pit or an air trick. But I think your end result of being able to master the, the skills that you worked on is going to be there and you're going to lock it down a lot faster. I think I would agree. And I also think that your, um, I mean, my pick is still the same, just primarily because of my age, but the, and age isn't everything, but it's something. <laughs> um, but the spring floor is definitely the, I do enjoy actualizing more on the, on the spring floor. Yeah. Well, and you know, it feels good to hit something on the spring floor. Cause you're like, cause you know, you look feedback there. I'm super close to actually having this, right? When I hit things, like, I, I can throw a double full on the AT, and one out of three times I land it, and it's, like, pretty clean. But the two out of three times would break me outside. Mm -hmm. So, and I do that, and I haven't thrown it on the spring floor because I know that, like, the impacts of hitting it two out of three times of failing, of failing two out of three times is just not, that's just not, I don't want to risk that injury. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So... I, the air trick helps me reach, uh, overreach, if you will, to yes. use like training terminology. Yeah. It helps me overreach, right, on my skills. But I don't know. At some point, I have to be like, that's it's not real yet, you know. Mm -hmm. but it's just it's like you're saying, it's just you do it on an air trick doesn't count. Right? <laughs> it's a little bit of that, but not the same ego. You just have let like there are less. Again, at, if if we draw back to my hatred for the Bosu ball. Um, Buso, oh, Buso, I had a dream about Bosu balls. <laughs> really? It's all your fault, man. You were you surrounded by them I and don't. couldn't escape? I, it's you were running down the hallway and they were on the walls and you were just like ricocheting <laughs> off getting chased balls. by a giant one with arms and legs. <laughs> I'm going to stabilize your knees. I'm going to stabilize your weak points. In the kinetic chain. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, the, the AT could be a giant flat Bosu ball, I suppose. Um, so, so there, that'll balance out my I know, affection so for rubber. <laughs> um, Travis likes Bosu balls when they're flat. It's true. Cause they're no Bosu longer squares. a Bosu ball. They're Bosu an air track. Um, or a air mattress or whatever the, the general term is. So, uh, I agree with you on that. I think if you're somebody, especially if you're somebody who's trying to learn like on your own, um, I think that an air track has value, but let's switch it up real quick. What is the tool that you think is the most overrated and you you hate 
about um, um, using for training or using for training people. Uh, trampolines. Yeah, I think that's part of the sheriff one. Trampoline is just like you just jump on a trampoline and then you get on the ground and your body has already forgotten what gravity is. Like you bounce for ten minutes, you step on the ground, your body's like, "What is this? Get me back on the tramp!" And so anything that you learn on the tramp, I mean, the air awareness is the only thing that you really keep, but the takeoff and the landing are completely worth. The mechanics are even completely yeah, different. Yeah, it's right. It, it's fun, and I love being on trampolines, and I love doing flips on trampolines, but I would never use them to train a flip that I wanted to do on any other real surface. Yeah, but what about? I think that with, with trampolines, they're just hyper-specialized, right? So if you, um, you know, if the foam pit allows you to throw something and then kind of see where you get, but landing, as long as you treat them that way. I mean, some people just do trampoline because trampoline is what yep. they like to do. They're fun for them and whatnot. But as far as injury rates go, I mean, we know this because, in, because of insurance companies and what they'll take. And when you say, we don't have a trampoline, they're like, oh, we love you guys, right? <laughs> and if they so... say trampoline, you're like, oh. Well, they know what the injury rates are on them. Mm-hmm. But because I think it's back to your earlier point, like humans and speed. Like when you take humans and you throw them down oh, to yeah. that, like a ski, yeah. ski slope at, and this is, again, the person shopping at Walmart now is going <laughs> 60 miles an hour down this, the ski slope and, and just can run into anything. Yep. You have that problem. And then you have with, um, with trampolines, you have someone being thrown up. And it's like, where are they going? <laughs> and, right. And why? So I would say... You know, the, I think that the real reason I would push not to have a trampoline in, in gyms, except for the mini tramps being the exception where you can get like kind of learn to punch and yeah and rotate. I think that's sufficient, a single one. And that's where I've learned my like from like cart foals, my front halves and stuff like that. And to be honest, taught a lot of back flips on them. Um, the little mini trampoline, mini Euro tramps were great for just getting around. But someone who's very comfortable with like twisting I think the trampoline could be helpful with that because you just get you get a lot of time to learn that feeling of twisting. Um, that being said, I've never learned a trick on a trampoline. Yeah, I, I think you could refine twisting ability because I see some people who are like, okay, I'm working on you know. There's not a tramp big enough out there <laughs> for me to want to start working my twisting skills. That's the problem. Like people are like yeah, people there's... are like, oh yeah, but you can learn twisting on a on a trampoline because you get so much height. And I'm like, yeah, on an eight by ten yeah. trampoline where it's there are literally the... metal springs hanging out. No way, thank you. Mm-mm. No way, because I'm gonna twist and I'm gonna go off to the side. And I'm just gonna smash my toe onto something hard yeah. like the frame. I just I, That's and again, super this tramps, is, those ones that me. are like twenty by twenty, like yeah, the size of our those ears. ones. If it was yeah. that one, I would totally work on it. But I've never but, been on one of those. But Do the problem is no. Okay. The problem so. with them though is that like there's they just that's a lot of real estate for very little use too, and they just they they lie to you. They ah, lie. the truth is you can't get that high <laughs> yeah. without the earth being like, "Come back to me, lover," <laughs> and the earth doesn't welcome you softly. Okay? No, when you're prodigal, when you're a prodigal son to the earth and you try and leave, the earth does not be like, "Oh, come and like eat," and it's just like, "Wow, why'd you leave?" Yeah, there right? is very con- a very controlling um, relationship. It's true. You cannot get far without it pulling you back in. So I just, I don't like it because uh, whatever trick you have, you're not used to landing it. You'll never get the mechanics of landing and impact, and it will never translate to something firmer as a result of that. Yeah. You, you can get the skill, but then you'll have to spend so much time trying to actually learn the mechanics of takeoff and landing 
which are just as important as the flip mm-hmm. itself. So you're yeah. really only getting one out of the three pieces of a flip, right? Takeoff, flip, landing. But you're also and not, you're only getting the middle one. And then you're also not getting what I think that where I think the gold is. Like it's one thing, and this is the difference between us and where we aspire to be, even and a trampoline park or somebody who just has a bunch of equipment is you don't get the progressions. You know what I mean? Like if you know the progressions, it's like getting getting dropped off in the forest and you're like, oh, I found this wonderful land that is the swift that I want. And, but you don't know how to get back there. So if yeah. you leave it for injury or for um, atrophy or whatever, um, you, you how do you get back? If you know the progressions, you can always get back. Or you can just take a step back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like, oh, well, I can't do back handsprings anymore. Um, well, I'm just going to do macacos or I'm going to do backwards cartwheels. Or I'm going to do a cartwheel. As you get older, as your as you as your style changes, you might decide, okay, I'm just not going to go that hard, and now I know where to be. But if you're like, oh, well, my trick used to be, you know, a double full, and I don't know anything between backflip and that anymore, it's like you're you're kind of boxed in. It's just not as in, it's not as it's not as interesting potentially. So I'm not I'm not saying that um, that we should never have trampolines, but I would agree. But no, I'm actually going to say I don't like the foam pit. Oh yeah, the foam part of the pit is definitely the worst. It's gross. Yeah, you're a bit of a germaphobe, which is not the discussion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, I would say that it's very easy, but that we're, we're talking about what we don't like, which which technique we're not. Well, yeah, what material. tool is the best, right? And if we're talking about trampolines as a tool to learn uh, techniques and flips, so, yeah, it's it's definitely on the lowest uh, tier of this equipment helps you learn stuff. Ranks pretty low. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I just think that's because of progressions too. Like I think yeah. so many oh, people yeah. will hear us say that and just be like, these guys have no idea. These guys even flip, bro. Like I know that people are gonna be saying that or saying that. We'll they... just we'll just drop that orbit video right after this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a shenanigan video. Exactly. I don't think many of us, you know, our coaches have been to on trampolines before, but no one relies seriously on them. They do trampoline sessions for fun and maybe that yeah some experimentation. But yeah, follow. They didn't get like... there. Everybody, like if you're if you're a tramp, you know we call them tramp kids, which is not insulting. It's actually just a label. Trampoline kids, yeah, tramp trampoline kids. kids. Um, you know, like if that's you, cool. Like nobody's and like you're a Olympic or you're trapeze trap. What do they call that? Like yeah, we're like in a circus. And trapeze, you're, you're trapeze. Yeah, okay. I don't want to butcher that. But in any case, like if that's you, awesome. Right. They do incredible stuff. We're not trying to take that away. What we're trying to say is like, if you're doing parkour and you're trying to supplement flips into your practice, a trampoline won't carry over the best. It's not, it's not for parkour. Tool for parkour. Tool for parkour is our, is our um, value there. What we're we're judging it against. And then I would also say that just understand that if you're doing tramp stuff, it's like, that's its own domain. Like it really is its own domain. And it's just like stepping on the holodeck in Star Trek. You're just like, okay, just understand you're in the holodeck now. And that's, this one room that is very isolated from reality and requires very specific conditions to do what you're going to do. And then you step out. There's not a lot of great translation. Okay. Well, I think we figured that out. Um, do, we can tell them that we're going to destroy. Oh, our pit is leaving. Yeah. The middle of this month. So, I mean, primarily this is because of COVID. Um, we just can't use it and we know we're going to a new location. So we want that space to be used yeah. for things that we can train in the, in the meantime. We, yeah and it's just yeah. i mean foam pits have worked even before because we got uh we got non-flame retardant foam so uh i just read an article i was looking on researching foam pits and that uh gymnastics have like a certain amount of 
the flame retardant chemical in their bloodstream. Really? Yep, because all of the foam is treated with flame retardant stuff. Firefighters have this too, and so it's in their bloodstream for gymnastics. And so I knew that going in five years ago when we ordered that, so I got non-flame retardant things. So our thing is just a giant dinner box. For those concerned about, like, fire hazard, (laughs) we have... Uh, three sprinklers <laughs> above the foam pit and yeah. three fire extinguishers on. So we didn't just be like, like no. little fire, fire balls that yeah, we that wanted to use, but we we will. The urge. So we we <laughs> didn't. There's a reason the like flame retardant yep. ones matter. Um, we did choose it because we felt it was healthier for athletes and also supplemented with enough fire prevention, like sprinkler mm-hmm. system, which is not normally above mm-hmm. the foam pit. Um, and tons of fire extinguishers. So anybody that was like, oh my god, there's, they have a, a pile of Kindle there? Yeah. <laughs> we did take precautions. We didn't just, you know, yeah, make that decision tons. willy-nilly. Yeah, there's, we meet code on fire protection. And the, we and exceed then we, it. We, we exceed it because we went after, yeah, even the guy who came over the, the fire marks was like, oh, I like that you guys got these fire extinguishers right here and there. So he was very impressed. And then we also researched, I'm looking at them right now, those uh, <laughs> fireballs I found from like some company out of Thailand. And there are these, like, what are they? How big is that? Like, about the size of, like, a dodgeball? It's like a five. Yeah, that is a dodgeball size. It's basically yeah. a dodgeball size. And there are these orange plastic balls. But if you throw them and the temperature reaches a certain degree around them, they explode. And, and basically what's inside of a fire extinguisher explodes over yep. the area. So in the demo videos, and we're going to, we definitely need to blow one up before we move. Not in here. I'm just saying, like, we probably should blow <laughs> one of those things up just for fun. Um, and record cool. that and share it. I think that would and be they're really super cool. effective too. And what we liked about them was that kids, could, not that a kid needs to put out a fire, but if a kid did need to put out a fire, yeah, they, they can out. grab it. And, right? Whereas yeah. like a fire extinguisher is like you got to pull the pin and then pull the nozzle out, aim it. Yeah, and you just throw it at stuff. Like I don't want to get next to a fire and like hit it with a fire. I just like throw the fireball <laughs> at it. And you're like, ah, they basically are really big, like the, the like ninja the ninja oh. like smoke yeah, balls smoke <laughs> bombs, yeah. it's like fire and throw it up poof and then you just like disappear um anyway well, yeah, that's pretty cool yeah that's that so focus has always been bad beer health yeah, yeah not a fan yep he's uh, gone he's gone he's gone okay so uh on to mentorship or do you guys have anything more you want to say about the cookie cookie tools nope nope okay good (laughs) so uh we're transitioning into the subject of mentors and we think this is important because earlier on in our own life experiences and in culture the question of like how to pick a mentor like what do you need mentors um who's the best mentor that kind of thing is really a very serious question and it's something that has benefited our culture early on, and, and we noticed that when the when the gym size was you know under fifty members, right? It's very easy for everyone who was in leadership or the or the or us as coaches or as mentors to have a connection with almost every student. Um, but as you scale up and roles shift, that becomes harder. And then if you're just a, if you're just someone out there looking for like people to look up to. Um, what are some of the key things that you guys look at look look at and what's your history with with mentors why why even mentors can we just have teachers and bosses and then be good or no do we need more no because i think there's a mentor kind of fills the line between like you have a boss right which is everybody has a boss we all know that um 
and we all know the lines that you can't really cross with the boss or that you shouldn't cross with the boss. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's like, they're your boss. So you can't, even if you wanted to, right? Even if you're great friends with your boss. And then you have like teachers, which have a very specific goal that they're going for it. But a mentor is there, a boss is like, hey, I need you to do your job. And here's your job. Here are the roles that you need to fill. A teacher is like, hey, here are the skills that I'm teaching you. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what we're going to do. A mentor is like, what do you want to do? What skills do you have that I can help you nurture? Right? And it's obvious there's very rarely that specific conversation that goes on. But that's what happens is you're like, hey, I want to get better at making coffee. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I have a friend who's a barista at the bougie Fort Collins, you know, coffee shop. And as a result of being friends, they're like, oh, well, come in and I'll like show you how to make some coffee. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that I really like. And then that becomes a mentorship role around that specific skill that I wanted to nurture, right? So I think mentors don't typically stick with you for the entirety of your life unless you fall into an industry or a niche that you really like. For example, parkour, Mm -hmm. we've all had parkour mentors that have been with us and are still with us now. But I can think of, of mentors that I've had for, you know, one or two years in a specific yeah. athletic field or a specific skill set, right? And then after that, I, you know, we maybe talk every now and then, but for the most part, there's not like the daily interaction that there mm-hmm. used to be. So I think first, that's the big difference mm-hmm. between mentor, teacher, and boss, if you had to kind of separate them. Yeah. And I think that matters. Yeah, I think uh, uh, definitely never had a mentor that lasted the whole life unless it's like you know parents or something but uh definitely had mentors for small windows in my life where i learned super valuable lessons that i think i would uh i don't know where i would have picked them up otherwise right mm-hmm. so um so yeah i think in like in high school my my bible teacher would have ended up being a mentor for me um wasn't perfect but i think he like taught the value of of being uh, a group and growing together as a group and controlling that culture and making sure that it's about the experience together as you travel wherever you guys go and making sure that you guys stay close together. That was something that I learned from him pretty early on. Though he, I remember him ta- telling the the principal we played like soccer all day during our class. He got mad at that. And the principal. Or... The principal got mad at that because yeah. yeah. he was in the mud. And uh, I think his only response to the principal was, "Those who play together stay together." Mm-hmm. And that like really clicked with our whole class. And I think our class was just grew with, you know, mentors like that watching over us and just confirming that the experiences that we were having as a class were, were good for us. And so. I think that if you watch that little edit that you made for the latest clip, that would also, yeah. <laughs> I can, I see that in your, I see that in your approach. I think it's just super important, right? To make sure that you guys are playing together. I play is why we all did parkour. So um it was interesting i already knew that right like our dad uh, was was always playing with us so to hear that from a teacher who wasn't his he didn't teach pe right but he he learned that lesson so i thought it was just weird to learn that from an outside source not from parkour parkour definitely taught me that but to reinforce it from somewhere else was cool yeah um yeah mentorship uh for me is was an isn't you just can't they are the they were the most important people in my life yeah i don't i think that a mentor is where it sometimes it may not be 
who you want, but it's who you need sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes also there are people who are where you want to be, right? Yeah. And that's a big difference. Um, you know, the mentor-mentee uh, relationship is similar to like the student-master relationship, right? There is a, there's a chemistry there that is unique and important and something that is sort of more, maybe not general, but it's just like of a domain that, 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 has, that really matters either to you um, or to survival or something like that. My, my early mentors... Um, Do you have a Mr. Miyagi level mentor? Yeah. Dang. Okay. That's up. something I Couple. definitely don't have. And I feel Couple. like that's what everyone thinks about when they say mentor. Yeah. Is Mr. Miyagi. But, but they I, come in a wide variety. Yeah. Yeah, I have a huge number of mentors. Crazy number of mentors. And it's absolutely why. I actually think that seeking out mentors is a skill set. Yeah. And I think it's something that helped me. I would not have broken out of... Um, like moved from Iowa and moved um, to China and then moved here. I mean, just to me, to a degree, my ability to seek out mentors was in part why I partnered with you guys, you know, early on in the business was because I didn't need someone to be older than me and be the Mr. Miyagi type. Although Cullen's really working on the beard and the bald head. So he at least can, (laughs) (laughs) he can fit the, uh, that mold in that way. But yeah, I would say that my first mentors that were Viking Mr. Miyagi. Yes, exactly. Um, so my first mentors uh, were just very domain specific. That's another thing too. Is like you pick a domain that you want to know more about, and then you find someone who's where you want to be in that domain that you look up to, and then that's sort of the pull that I think a lot of our coaches have with with students. Right? Is they're just some they're just they they're in a place that they believe is attainable for them or they admire and they want they want to pursue that maybe they it's nebulous and they can't explain what exactly that person's doing but they're just cool and they want to do it so there's that that level of mentor yeah and earlier on i had mentors in um graphic design design because my dad was a video producer and uh um director and he introduced me to some some guys who were doing work on like um video editing and graphic design and stuff like that and all those guys do work for like marvel and do like the animation for like the like iron man movies and stuff like that and GOT too, as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were there in LA, and I just was like, "Oh, well, I want to do that." So I chased it, and then early on in high school, I got the opportunity to do to get involved with groups that were doing graphic design. When most kids were like, "I don't even know what that's going to mean," but I was on like a Mac playing in Photoshop, you know, in in eighth grade when you know that would have been ninety six, ninety seven. So not many people were messing around with that stuff. Like I had like Photoshop one on my Macintosh two. And was drawing like little snowboarders and stuff like so that was always something that <laughs> a mentor you know having seen the mentors there and being in the studios i remember being in the studio and like the guy there who i was with um his name was mitch um um munson and he runs like motion is the name of his company now and they do all that work in la and he uh would, had on his wall like he'd done like a prince album cover and i was just like holy cow and he was super cool he's just like yeah man he's like and action figures are cool. And I was like, what? You like action figures? And then he sent me like one time, sent me a, a package in the mail. that just had like a like an X-Men, a, like Gambit character and just like a letter that just said, hey man, you know, thanks for coming up and seeing, you know, just like connecting in that way and just showed me, oh man, you can grow up and be cool. I think that yeah. really mattered to me and that, that carries through for what we do now because we're just not, we're serious about play, but we're not so business. Right? Am I right? It's true. I think, I think you, what you're saying is like, or at least part of what you're saying, what I'm picking up is that mentors can sometimes show you what's possible. 
right? If especially if they're older than you, yeah. if they're younger than you, then they can recapture something that you thought maybe you weren't able to do. But certainly, right? Like you were like, oh, when I grow up, I have to lose, you know, my hobbies that seem childish. And this guy who's clearly killing it and loving his life is like, what? I think that's awesome. I still do that. Check it out, right? Yeah. And it's kind of it's a bit like us in that like we all play video games still well into our adult years, mm-hmm. right? In fact, before I came here, that's literally what I was doing was playing games, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my hobby, and I love that, and that's that's like my thing. But I wouldn't know that if we didn't have a dad who was in his 30s when we were growing up who was playing video playing games, video games right. right? At the same time that he's starting his own business literally in our basement, right? And he's working on computers, and we're like, oh, well, if it's cool for dad to play video games and yeah, okay do entrepreneurial stuff, then... It's cool for me to be an adult uh, when I grow up and play video games too, you know? Yeah, and he um, probably just showed you, he was excited about that. I think it's super important that mentors and one of the differences, you may have a teacher or a boss leading you or a parent even leading you through subject matter in life, but when they're really passionate about something mm-hmm. yeah. and you're still doing it, even if it's in a lesser capacity, I think we joked about the guy that we saw on the Netflix series who created Space Invaders but couldn't make it past the first level. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, I love my game, but I can't make it past the first <laughs> level. Like, I think there's some truth to that sometimes, but there's also people who just kill the kill the game um, later on. One of my like, so the next big mentor that I had was um, or impactful mentor. And a lot of it was just timing of where I was. Um, was um, and there are many others in there, but um, his name was Eddie Sang, and he was a uh, English teacher from uh, Hong Kong who was my first martial arts instructor, my first serious martial arts instructor. And he taught me Chinese uh, at a very fundamental level and then introduced me to Wushu Kung Fu and Chinese like philosophy and, and calligraphy early on, like when I was 14. And I studied with him for, for another four years through my high school. And he actually ended up teaching me English too. But <laughs> I took his AP English class. Um, but anyway, he really introduced me to, to sort of what the world could be like outside of the Midwest, right? Outside of Iowa, you know, and, and that's how I developed a passion for these. And that was just really important to me. Still was practicing Kung Fu, still was teaching, still was just loved the culture. And it was very interesting, so much to learn and do. So that was super cool. Um, and then I would say the next um, biggest mentor on, on the movement side was uh, Daniel Pacina, who has, you know, been my um, instructor for, oh man, I think it's like almost 20 years now like 17 years or something like that, you know, and the relationship has been on and off, but it's continuous. And then, um, and that was because this is someone who's still doing like amazing stuff, right? So mm-hmm. most known for being Johnny Cage in the Mortal Kombat video games, but also was a, worked on the on Ninja Turtles projects. And so that for me, when I was a kid, like Ninja Turtles was my Pokemon. Like you guys are into the Pokemon stuff. Like that was your thing, right? <laughs> what would you say your most most influential like? You guys are into that Pokemon thing, right? Right. Like, I mean, exactly it was how my dad would say it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys like that Pokemon stuff, yeah. don't you? No, I, 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 but I've moved into it. I played the game, and I because my daughter. Likes no, it. I think Dragon Ball Z probably had the biggest. Like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I would say Dragon Ball's up there with me yeah. too. Pokemon is just. Just it's fun, fun. They're just little monsters. Yeah, but there's not really much to learn from Pokemon. Well, yeah, I think you guys. I, I, I would say you guys have a, and I've noticed this about you. You have a special um, affection or interest for like woodland creatures. Like you guys, they're like, oh, look at that little thing. It's cute. It's kind of like you know, roly poly. Like you're. That's a different relationship with like 
creatures, small creatures, <laughs> and wildlife <laughs> that I can only attribute to Pokemon because you guys aren't like big like animal lovers, right? You like them, no. but yeah. you guys love little creatures. You're like, oh look at that guy, he's so. I'm like, as and I always remember just the attitude towards the squirrels is just like, oh look at that like fuzzy tailed rat, right? Like it wasn't like I think you guys have an affection for for critters that Pokemon helped you. That's sure, yeah. Awesome. Actually, I think yeah, I can see that going for uh, for kids for kids everywhere too. Yeah, I mean it's awful, but we it's, just, it's we have animal abuse. Pokemon is not like yeah. very friendly. It's, you trap them in balls and keep them in your hip and, and then throw them at people. And then the only time you release them is to beat them up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take, take your field mouse with my shrew. Battle to the death. <laughs> Until one blacks out. Like every time they come out, they black out. <laughs> the the yeah. That's yeah, ridiculous. That's horrible. And then I would say also my uh, mentors for, for just like life mentors, different than movement mentors, would have been like my high school teachers. Yeah. Very awesome teachers at metro high school in sierra iowa and like these were people who were in touch with real life i feel like sometimes people say that like academia is out of touch right you get you know especially when you get to you know post-secondary stuff in the um coastal elite colleges you know or universities people are saying that these and i've definitely experienced that too where there's some out of touch university professors but these guys were not. They understood life and they understood what life was like for kids. And they were just trying to make that connection. And just this vested interest in you, this sort of like unconditional love. It was like, a. I remember my teacher saying, you know, it's, you know, you guys, because we were, I think in one class time, we were kind of judging some of the other students. And they were saying like, you know, we were like, this guy's had enough chances and then he keeps screwing up. And then like, I remember a teacher saying, look, here they get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and as many chances as it takes. Mm-hmm. that's the attitude not you screwed up and now you're out of school and we, as a student body we were trying to like exile a kid or something <laughs> yeah. like that but they were trying to give that message of that mentorship message of like unconditional acceptance and just really interested like my mentors no matter how bad i like screwed up they were just kind of like oh, okay well let's fix this we can you can do better come on that doesn't mean i didn't get in trouble with them or something like that but yeah like, teachers they were vested are- on another level, everyone's got to have at least some, at least a high school teacher mentor. I had a middle school teacher mentor, my fifth grade teacher. I was a very angry fifth grader. <laughs> and she handled that very well. I was like extremely embarrassed when they like, uh, when I got outed that I had little anger issues as a kid. But my teacher was just very patient on that and would always try to like mitigate the embarrassment that I had. As my dad always had me sign these little anger slips. Just like mm. permission slips, but the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to have my teacher sign this little permission slip every uh, every day, and my teacher would always be really discreet about it, and uh, and and make sure that kids weren't noticing because kids would ask, "Why are you having your... her sign that every day?" So um, she was a good mentor to me. But yeah, in high school, I almost learned. I I got something I learned from every teacher in high school. So they're out there. I feel like sometimes recognizing. Who your mentors are is i think i want to bring that up because you need you probably have them even if you're not paying attention yeah um you could definitely use more of them and they definitely deserve more respect than you're probably giving them <laughs> so you know and with that it's like some of my biggest regrets um i don't have a ton of major regrets but definitely regret in the category of not acknowledging keeping in contact with and continuing to learn from the people who had those types of relationships uh, with me um it really took me into my mid-30s to like actually go back and find people and be like oh wait 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 
I got distracted. Like these people matter to me and I want to be in contact with them and I want to reciprocate that with others. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely one of those things like in Chinese, they say the, the, the master um, seeks the student and the student seeks the master, basically meaning like, you know, the connection that comes from that is, is mutual. And I think that's different too about mentorship. Like mentorship can't be imposed on someone. Yeah. And I think also you can't always get a connection with a mentor who maybe you admire unless they are there unless they're willing to you know accept students or there there should be that um serendipitous give and take yeah well um there's that there is well, some chemistry there. exchange exchange yeah. there's some it chemistry just, there. yeah sometimes it just has to match up right right and sometimes you're at different wavelengths too where your mentor is like i like i just i'm they're not in the mindset to have a you know a mentee a student right yeah. um and sometimes you're not in the mindset to accept mentorship, which I think a mentor not being in the mindset to have a mentee is totally acceptable. And that happens. You just need to roll with it. You not being in the mindset to accept a mentor is a flaw. Mm-hmm. I think that's like if you're stressed and you're busy with work, you need a mentor more than anything else because you need somebody to help guide that stress and that goal. But if you're like, no, nah, I'm just not in the mindset to like have a mentor right now, that means that you're probably have a bit of an ego issue mm-hmm. you need to sit down and dial out your priorities and put yourself and you know the, your pride in the back seat a little bit and be like okay cool maybe i do need somebody to help me kind of pin down this particular aspect of my life mm-hmm. but yeah sometimes you just don't match on wavelengths and the mentor is not that chem- that chemistry isn't there at that time and maybe you circle back in a couple years and this is a really good point and this is why i think that i really like the approach that my high school had which was there wasn't counselors for the school so like you didn't have like like many schools have like the count the guidance counselor or whatever role right Mm -hmm. it's like every teacher had a dozen to two dozen kids and they mentored like that was their you had Mm -hmm. someone that was your mentor in that relationship and so the entire staff would then meet once a week and be like, okay, what's going on with your kids? And every teacher had sort of, you know, highs or lows that they were talking about with, with students. And that's what I would like us to, to continue to seek out here in culture. And I think that's some of the problems that a culture faces when they scale up is that when we're talking about sub 50 people, we pretty much knew everybody who was in the gym. And I think that, that doing things to make the, that come back together in a way that allows access to us from our students in in some sort of way that has structure. Um, you know, we've been talking about enhancing some programs with uh, higher level students to to afford that and whatnot. In the past, it was like, if you were a higher level student in the gym, you were probably having direct interactions with all of us. Yep. And you were, you were, you got to kind of sort of like naturally select for who's, um, you know, personality type or ambitions or what they're what they're focusing on in that moment is what you what you want to focus on in that moment and you had this library of sort of access to to mentors and when you just have the one-to-one relationship between once one student and one teacher and that student is a student of other mentors you don't get that broad library to select from so i think that's something that um that we can focus on to make mentorship more accessible here you know what i mean yep what would you guys say because I think we both experienced um, both mentors organically and mentors by actively seeking them out. But when you did find that person, what was your vetting process, we'll say? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question because you want to make sure that 
you, know, you have this high risk of pursuing people who do or do any things you want and you have that like appeal to authority. You have to be very careful of not, you know, dishing out that guru complex where it's like you just are outsourcing your critical thinking to this person mm-hmm. and that person could take advantage of you. So you have to sort of trust your instincts around whether it's safe to be with mentors because a lot of mentors can can be trouble, right? I've been very lucky with that, but I can read people pretty well. But if you can't and you just think the only way to get what you want is to go and pursue one person and do everything they say, I think that's a risk. Um, but the... Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say something about the risks of like, just like blind trust in a relationship. I think it's important that you don't, if you do find somebody that you want to mentor you, that you don't get hung up on them being the only option, mm-hmm. right? I think it, it does matter to like seek people out and be like, oh, this person seems to have existed in my life and like has been, you know, somebody who's already somewhat mentoring me. I got to have them. Mm-hmm. right because the truth is like you say sometimes they are mentoring you already where they can mm-hmm. and you being like hey the conversation is a little different but in summary hey will you mentor me right and they may be like oh sure but they're not really ready for it or they're not wanting to and that may put them in a position where their mentorship is not quite as organic or as um what's the term i'm looking for here as natural quality uh-huh. as as they want it to be right and so if 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 you're hung up on one person you put a ton of pressure on them at, to be your mentor if they know that like uh so and so wants to mentor from me i have to live up to that as opposed to it being organic and it just happening so don't get too hung up on if you have one mentor there are a million experts in every single yeah. field and you can find them Nowadays with technology, like we were talking, it's so easy to find a mentor online. You just go on Instagram, you search the hashtag, like basket weaving. Not parkour, that hashtag is horrible. Yeah, it is. But you know, (laughs) and then you just, you browse people's Instagram and then you hit somebody up in a DM and you're just like, hey, how did you get started in basket weaving? And they're like, oh, you know, I started because my my parents did it here, but you know, really where I felt like I really hit my my step was in college because I did this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, awesome, cool. And then you go explore that. It's consistency too. Like going to someone and just being, I want to be, I've never gone to someone and be like, I want to be your mentee, right? Yes. Like <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Feels a bit, you know, no. right. Is and, and, and also there's so much that has to do with just sitting, like just shutting up and just doing the work. Like I am definitely somebody who's not super strict, um, but I do believe in consistency and I don't think everyone has that type of work ethic on any particular, and it may shift between domain and domain. But when you find that one where you can just do the work and it doesn't feel like work, then then that's a little bit of self-discovery too. And then finding someone else who's just doing the work and just, they just do it. I think that's another thing to do is like when you find a mentor, um, is this a person who seems to have boundless energy to just do what they're doing, right? Or, I mean, they could be fatigued or whatnot, but it's just like, they're, they're going to wake up the next morning and they're going to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're just doing it. And you're like, okay, that's someone who is, who likes this. Like I like it. And then you can, you can pursue that, um, that scenario. Justin. Yeah. Oh, sorry. What was the original question? His question was, what do you, how do you identify mentors? How do you bet? How do you bet? Oh, and identify and bet. Yeah. I don't. I feel like it's really hard for me to do that in the moment. I feel like it takes some time for me to, to look back and to realize, oh, I was just being mentored <laughs> during that period of my life. Uh, but I think it would have helped me 
in the time, you know, during high school and during early parkour when we were training with Ryan and Amos, just to realize that mentors aren't perfect and not just because you run into one scenario or uh, circumstance from the mentor that you're like, I don't like that at all. And I don't think that this person is, you know, good at this part of their life. doesn't ruin the, the some of the experiences that you have with them. And because I, I feel like this is really easy. You're like, if you look at all the people in your life and you're like, well, everyone sucked at something and, and they were mean to this person, then you'll never see mentors. So... Yeah, if you have like a bit of a hero complex with yeah. your mentor, like, where like they have to true. live up they're to not going to be perfect. So you just gotta, uh, and that's really tough to separate if they have some glaring issues. But which some of my mentors did, but uh, yeah, that's that's a tough question for me. I, I like think I have to look back some. I don't know if I can do it in a moment and really see that like, oh, this person is mentoring me without some time. I think that that's a very. I wanted to bring that topic up. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm glad that you that you talked about it. Was just sort of like the like the humanity of <laughs> of mentors <laughs> like they're imperfect and i think if you I, I many times i've started following somebody in a particular domain and then being like i agree with everything they're yeah. saying they have the answer only to eventually not not agree with them and then feel gross or something like i'm like yeah. i don't agree with them anymore all right now i gotta find somebody else but i think if you just focus on yourself and you realize that you are going to have your own you know seasoning to the way you approach life and the mistakes you make um then and just uh, accepting that people are imperfect heroes right like you were saying right like imperfect heroes look for imperfect heroes and i'm not don't look for <laughs> the imperfections in people but <laughs> acknowledge that your heroes are going to be imperfect and be ready for that be ready for them to to do something or say something very human and in the experience and then how you're going to deal with that and make that sure that doesn't wreck your your own identity or your own goals and whatnot because all my mentors have had you know opportunities and if you're just focus on you i think that's a big part of mentorship is is being able to see yourself and in someone else and where they are and do you want to be there and do you like that and then there's the idea of okay i like where they're at i think i want to be there and then there's actually being there, which is why I'm more interested in like rapid cycle testing for internships early on in in your life, in your career and being flexible and being ready to quit. Like yeah. there's the discipline of like not quitting what you love. <laughs> and there's the, the acceptance of, of you're in denial, quit what you're doing. It's not working for you. It's not making you happy because yeah. it's weird. Like one kind of goes before the other. You need enough discipline to get deep enough into a domain to understand that you like it. But you don't want so much discipline that you're just like, you You can't understand like hurt from happiness. And you're just like, oh, I'm going to stick with this. I said I was doing a four-year degree or I said I was doing this program for two years and I'm going to do it. I'm like, whoa, for me, anything. Oh, two years of anything. Oh, wow, that's a lot. That just scares me, the word two years, right? So <laughs> it ha when I think two years of something, it has to make me excited about putting in those two years, um, which is why I, I recommend Or the end of result of what happens after two years has to be so exciting to carry you through two I years, agree, right? but then there's also just, just the caveat to that. And I, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, but then, but the one thing I would say in addition to that is don't let that be the only, you still have to like that process because if you, if you, you wait for the other end of it as like, that's when I'm going to be happy, that's a huge gamble. So you yeah. spend two years on something only to find out at the end, it, oh, that didn't make me feel like I thought it would. This happens with kids who graduate with degrees and they're like, oh, well, when I get this degree, I'm going to do this 
or when I settle down, they settle down, they think, oh, well, this is what I would like to do. Okay, that yeah, I could see myself being that. I do think though, there's a bit of, there's a bit of a difference in that the three of us are all entrepreneurs, right? So we have the mindset already that is very like fast and loose. Mm. Like we do something, we dive in deep, and we're like, nope, actually that sucked. Okay, next, right? Most people aren't like that, and some people do want to to do that grind of a four-year degree and at the end of that they're like okay cool that sucked but now i love my job Hmm. because the truth is your job and and a college education or any sort of institutional education ideally they look very similar but in practice they just can't right the product of learning to do a job and doing the job are very are very rarely the same on complex level things yeah um working in software development for a team is nothing like learning to code. They're not, right? They're just mm-hmm. not the same because in one realm, it's you alone in your dark room for hours learning code. And the other one, it's somebody like, hey, did you get that review done? Did you, you know, did you get out that pilot program for us? And you're like, ah, oh, crap, no, I didn't because Travis didn't get me his part in time. And now you have to work with people. Mm-hmm. But maybe you love that. And mm-hmm. maybe you hated reading a textbook of, you know, queries and line commands Mm -hmm. and you hated that but you love working with a team and developing something cool so i don't know i i think that there is truth to that that Mm -hmm. if you're not enjoying the process a little bit or you're not in the process enjoying little bits of it like oh man i hated that textbook but i love the program that i wrote as my final project Mm -hmm. this program is just an easy example it could be whatever right um but overall your process of like in school you were like "Eh, it wasn't that fun but maybe you will like it in the end. I just, I don't think it's worth saying like, oh, if you're not enjoying the journey that you're not going to enjoy the result of it. I think everybody has to make that decision. But for sure, if you're in there and you're like, this sucks, I hate it, I hate everything okay. about it. It might be time for you to just cut it and move on. I would say, well, then I'll say for me <laughs> as to not, uh, you know, and, and push that advice on people. For me, quitting is honesty. And... I wish that if I, I don't regret really the, at the high level direction, it's like everything has worked out and I'm happy with where things are and I wouldn't change a thing, you know, with you guys, with my family, with where I live and whatever. Um, but in an alternate universe and that, but part of that's me just accepting and knowing that, you know, either this is genetics or nurture, probably a combination of both. I'm going to find a way to be happy and I will lose my mind not, <laughs> you know, doing, doing the opposite, doing otherwise. And that's what made me, you know, go in and out of school, but then go back to school to learn and then just leave when I didn't like class. Like that was one of the things, the best decisions I made early on was like, I want to learn something cool. I'm going to start college as a high schooler. This class sucks. And then I quit. Mm-hmm. Instead of signing up for a degree and saying, I need that degree, I need to pursue that. I literally would just continue to go into classes and then drop out. <laughs> I would like two weeks in I, and I maintained a really good grade average that way. You guys like I, my grade average was like, you know, B plus or something. It was not horrible. Was it, what is that like three? I had like a three, six, five or something like that. Is that like that sounds like a B, B yes. plus? Yeah. You know, so I wasn't atrocious, but I'm somebody who would continuously quit classes, but I wouldn't, you know, there's like the hurt that comes from training hard. And you're like really fatigued because you trained and you're grumpy and you're, and you're like, why am I doing this? And then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, that was awesome. I remember that. That was great. And there's the hurt from like um, this, the, I, I, my soul hurts from doing this kind of work or, or whatever. There has to be <laughs> yeah. another way. My soul hurts. 
from that and I've worked those lines. I don't, I, 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 let me, let me make this more concise. I've worked for jobs that I carried for like multiple years, you know, six or nine years that I should have quit to in. And I should, and I, because I believe I would have found happiness faster if I would have done that. And you should try these things and then quit. And sometimes if you're somebody, I think everybody's worried that you're going to quit and they're not going to develop discipline. But a lot of the urge to do things better in life comes from pursuing what you're passionate in. And the chances are you're going to do it anyway. Like what are you just consistently doing? Pursue that. Like in your code example, if you went through and you did all these tasks and you were like, okay, well, I didn't like the textbook stuff. I didn't like communicating with people, but the end result of the code that I produced, I do like, don't accept all that other stuff with it just to get that one part. Just double down on that one part. Yeah, you don't Yeah, you don't have to accept all of it. Sometimes yeah. you do have to just work with people. But. Yeah, and well, <laughs> if you don't go, so the other thing is don't go into debt over, right? So a lot of the reasons I had to stay in jobs that I would have moved on from otherwise was because I started to acquire obligations outside of that. Mm-hmm. So I took the mortgage or I took the additional responsibility of being with, you know, with friends or family who didn't have income. Or I took, you know, I took when I was, I was sacrificing for income and that that's trouble. Like just fix the income problem. And yeah, sometimes that's not as enjoyable, but you know, find your mentors and do start doing like, that's the biggest thing I think I was just talking to uh, my wife yesterday about this. And she's like, Oh, I went to school and I started studying ESL sign language because she was passionate about that. And she's like, I thought that's something that I, that I would want to do. And then, you know, ways into the program, I had conflict with the instructor and I said, I didn't, I'm like, well, how often were you actually doing ESL, the sign language signing and working with people while you were in that program? She's like, Oh, I was waiting until I was done with it. I didn't feel like I was ready to start. Mm -hmm. The difference is I was just scrappier and practical because I was broke. So I couldn't afford to put myself in debt to, to do that work. So I would take, I would do Chinese, I would learn Chinese and I'd be like, okay, cool. Well, I'm getting done with this class. I'm going to go to a Chinese restaurant and I'm going to say the only two words I know in Chinese, which is like, ni hao, which is hello. And she which is thank you. I'm just going to do that. And every, and I'd go to lunch every freaking day for the excuse, even though I was just getting like white rice and putting like sweet and sour sauce on it, <laughs> right? To walk in. And then have a new person be in there and I'd be like, ni hao. And they'd be like, wow, your Chinese is good. And I was like, si, si, And then I'd be out because I was <laughs> anxious <laughs> to like test that yeah. faster. Yeah. And that you have to do that because then you'll know, oh, I hated that. Okay, well, quit the class. Go fit. You don't, you have all the time, but you have no time. Mm-hmm. You have no time to waste, but you have all the time in the world to do what you love. And I will tell you that when you find what you love, that time feels exponentially greater in as far as like your memory and how it resonates with you, then then if you're just like doing stuff you hate, like you don't remember, you know, oh, it sucked and I wasted it. Well, I had one year where we were just killing it. And then you'll remember that as like consuming the vast amount of your memory and, and time in life. And you should chase after those things if you, if you enjoy them. So I think that's the biggest difference is if you're out there right now and you're like, well, I'm in school. What are you in school for? Go do it. You can do it now. Internship. You can do we it used now. to do that, right? We used to do internships. It's like, oh, I'm going to this field. And then you intern. Because people got it. Yeah. Go do it. Oh, you hate it? Well, good thing you figured that out now. Yeah, there's there's definitely no reason if you're if you're in the middle of learning something that you can't in some capacity practice. If you're like learning to be a lawyer, you can't go out and take it on a client. I wouldn't that's illegal. Um, <laughs> but there's no reason that you can't 
you know, go out there and try and, and find a case and try and study case law in your own time. And if you love that, then you know you're in the right area. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you go out, if you're like, oh, I want to get into parkour and you're taking parkour classes, for example, and then you aren't going outside to actually practice parkour in between your sessions, you don't know if it's actually something you love. Maybe you just love hanging out with the person that's, you know, teaching you. Mm-hmm. And you just love like getting exercise and you don't actually love parkour. And that's cool too. But if you're not out there doing parkour and trying it and being like, actually, this stuff's super cool. I love doing this. I love doing it on my own time. I love doing it with a group. I love doing it um, with my you know, mentor or my teacher or my coach or whatever, then you're never going to get a full picture of whether that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there have been times where I've gone after skills that I knew that I didn't really love or want, So, but I got them because I needed to apply them somewhere else. Does that make sense? So some aspects of business, you know, some math and some some of the organizational structure stuff, not interested in, but I was like, oh, but if I understand this little bit, then it can support me throughout. So I would argue for you guys that my observation of you is that you're stubborn. Both of you are very stubborn and you just won't do what you don't want to do. And you're doing this, but you're not to some degree acknowledging that not every, every, (laughs) no, I know I am. I mean, my example was when I quit college, I, my first degree was landscape architecture. Mm -hmm. I was super excited about it. And I was like, I'm going to design stuff. And then I went to to my first class and they were like, all right, guys, plant biology. We're going to be learning about grasses and trees. And I was like, out. (laughs) (laughs) It literally lasted like 30 minutes in that that field. And I was so excited to go into it. And then I switched it. Mistake. That was a mistake. I didn't. I quit too early on that one. And then I switched to business. And in the middle of that business degree, I was talking to the counselor and he was like, so why do you want to do business? I was like, well, I'm teaching parkour and I'm running some classes. And he was like, oh, so you're already kind of doing it. And I'm like, yeah, but I just want to learn it so I do it better. And he was like, well, by the time you graduate in your business degree, you already have so much experience that, you know, the bachelor really isn't going to help you that much. And so I was like, oh, and so that's why I quit business school. But I quit the wrong one. (laughs) I should have, if I would have stayed in landscape architecture, I probably would have been doing or at least had the experience and um, uh, going through that. And I would have really enjoyed learning design on that level. I think so. a, a mentor, that's a great example of where a mentor could have helped you, right? Because yep. if you, at, you were super early, so the chances of you having found a mentor that quickly are very slim. But had you had one, you could have been like, I don't know if, you know, if architecture is my thing. Be, and your mentor would have been like, oh, why not? It's just I one love class. it, and you're yeah, and they and they would have <laughs> been you would have said, well, I don't, they're like talking about grasses and stuff, and I just want to get to like doing the cool part. Like I don't care about you know, the landscaping, I care about the physical structures and the layout, right, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, you realize plant biology is just a freshman year class, yep. right? And then you get into the actual design and engineering aspects, and you're like, oh, so you're saying I just have to suffer for yeah. a little bit. Right. Yeah. A mentor can that. help you do that too. And a mentor can do the inverse where if you're like, well, I don't want to learn about plant biology and that sort of stuff. And they're like, oh, that's 75% of the field, man. And then you, the mentor can tell you right there, that's a big part of, of the field. And if you don't enjoy that, you need to bounce. I think a lot of parents and people are worried about that. So I'm not, I think that clumping everything together, like the ability to endure and the ability to learn how to suffer towards a goal and it, to just, in Chinese, they say eat bitter and just grind. It, it doesn't have to come with a college education. It doesn't have to come yeah. with going to school. 
all of my ability to learn how to suffer came from martial arts. And it could have, or it could have come from parkour. I can tell you right now, a lot of our coaches have suffered. <laughs> Just by the look on their face. But because they are trying to learn about themselves and they're hitting walls and then they're going beyond them. And they can endure. The pain that you're willing to endure is way more than the pain that you're not willing to endure. Like the ability to learn how to suffer in your training as a as a as endurance and grit. I don't, a lot of people say this. Like my friends, some of my friends say, "Oh, it's breakdance for me." Oh, you know, I I I studied this discipline and because I was so passionate about it, I could push myself to the limits of my physical and mental capabilities. And con- and confusing that was being thrown into some sort of horrible scenario you have to survive and what comes from that is the difference between this i suffered through and i came out stronger and i came out stronger without ptsd <laughs> right <laughs> so it's like yeah you can get the results but one's more sustainable one's more viable what do you guys think as we wrap this up today what do you guys think gave you the ability to endure the most uh, I think we had really great example from our like parental figures, um, a mom in particular who just like who's I'm pretty sure able to just suffer constantly and like still enjoy smile it, and like enjoy it. She's yeah. like it's a, it's a little masochistic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, she's like she's like the the true American story, right? Like got entry level job working nine fifty dollars an hour in a big company and quite literally just bullied her way into like a c-level position right mm-hmm. and so like she just she was just like i'm you know i i'm not happy here so i'm just <laughs> gonna work my way out of it yeah. right whereas it wasn't necessarily the entrepreneurial where we're very much like us we're like this sucks i'm out <laughs> right yeah. and then we just go somewhere else she was like this sucks I'm just going to work harder to make it better. Yeah. And then her bosses were like, holy cow, like this is, you are wasted doing this thing. If that's how you're going to approach your work. Right. Right. And so I think there's like two different tracks and we're definitely too stubborn in the other realm. She's like stubborn and not like, I'm going to make this thing work for me. (laughs) (laughs) This this job, it's going to make me happy and I'm going to make it make me happy. Right. And we're just like, this job doesn't make me happy. So I'm going to go find something. Two different tracks of stubborn. But I think seeing her example growing up um, was really um, encouraging for us. It's like you can, if you're willing to suffer in the right way, you can make things the way you want them to be, mm-hmm. right? But if you're suffering with no goal in sight, you're just suffering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. And I think that's... I I've I've played I've dabbled a little bit with both, but not to the extent that that your mom has. And also, the other thing is that she's very smart. And I think that you have to understand when you're doing really well. Like I, I imagine she was able to slay in those environments and that stood out. If that's, if you're grinding that hard and that's not working for you. you, you. <laughs> that might not be you. Yeah, that might not be you. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think, okay, so you guys like, as we, as we close, I still want, I feel like this is unanswered. Like where is the balance between discipline and happiness? He's disciplined to make me happy. In other words, awesome. I, if I am encountering something that I don't enjoy, I look down the road just a little bit 
And I'm like, okay, cool. After walking on this glass for a bit, is there going to be a spa 100 meters from here? I'm like, yep, I see it right there. Somebody ready to take care of my feet once I get done walking on this glass. Mm -hmm. Then I will have the discipline to push through that. But if I look down the road on that and I'm like, I don't see an end goal here, Mm. that road sucks for me, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, the line of whether or not I'm going to grit through something is whether or not I can see an end goal in sight. And if that end goal is something that I am going to enjoy. Now, if it's something completely brand new to me and I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it at the end of the road, then for me, then it's, it's really a, do I have the time or energy to just willing to go through that? For me, I don't care if like at the end of the road, I'm like, ah, yeah, I took this in this course on uh, astrology. And I don't know if at the end of it, it astrology is going to make me happy, but I have the excess time. Yeah, I'll probably see it to the end and I'll be like, actually, astrology sucks. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, how long are you willing to wait for that? And then we'll yeah. go. <sighs> Ooh, that's a, again, <laughs> it depends on my time, right? Like if everything else in my life is amazing and I'm happy, I, I, I could probably spend a year on like doing a course or a mentorship on something that at the end I'm like, well, that was actually kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm pressed for time, which I, I am most of the time, I, I'm pretty cut and quick, like in a month. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll dive in on something and I'm like, no, nope, that sucks. Right, out, out, next thing. So that's still very fast. Cycle, it's very think. fast. It's definitely not four year college, which is why. Yeah, you know, I think I a lot of people college. are operating on four to eight, four to 10 year timelines. That's a lot of time to waste. Yep. So I just want to call out that that, it, it sounded like it might've been going that way, but I just want to admit <laughs> no, for listeners no, to know yeah. that you're talking about a really fast cycle. I am yeah, much so, faster. Uh, maybe, maybe slower for entrepreneurs but definitely faster than the average, right? I think, I don't know if this answers your question or not, but I feel like uh, I can go through discipline and and not even have a result as long as I'm with people who I can enjoy the experience with and who I can look back and just laugh at the suffering and laugh that I went through it, even if I went through it for nothing. <laughs> like eating yeah. like hot wings? <laughs> yes. I feel like, yeah, I can enjoy the discipline and I can enjoy the suffering even if it goes nowhere, but it has to be something I can look back on and experience with other people. And if I'm doing it alone, that really feels like suffering to me and really feels like discipline and grinding for, for something that is a gamble. But if it's with other people, you know, that experience is something that I can use to feel happy with. So... I don't know if that's the answer or not. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I was curious as to how you approach, yeah, how do you approach the line between um, the discipline and the happiness? I would say for me, it is, where does the energy come from? Meaning like, when I'm doing it, can I do it for 13 hours? Can I do it for five days straight and then wake up the next day and still want to do it? And, um, and that requires, because that, that requires a lot of, um, of insight and self-discovery and there's, it takes a while to figure those things out but I believe that once I was able to unlock and be honest with myself about how I really wanted to work and spend my time then that what came easily for me it's not just about want it has to come easy like there's a lot of things I want and want to do that I think would make me happy and probably would make me happy that I just don't have boundless energy for mm-hmm. and we talk about this a lot like anything that's good with a spreadsheet Woo. No, no, no. But production, I love production. Justin doesn't production. like spreadsheets either. 
Doesn't like the spreadsheets either. Doesn't hate I like spreadsheets, but they're I just don't. so hard. No, I don't. <laughs> I like when they work. <laughs> I well, yeah, you like when they yeah, work. Yeah, you like you like spreadsheets that I make for you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you like the information that comes from the spreadsheet because that's what I like. But, yeah. So I would say that the ability to sort of like wake up excited about what you're doing, and a lot of people are like, you know man that seems really hard like that seems harder finding that for me seems harder than just doing a job you may be right i'm just saying that's that effortlessness that that's sort of your nature just sort of like blossoming on a daily basis and just creating and and making that bring value to your life and make you happy you will you won't have regret a freaking year of that you get a year of that in and you'll just be like cool you'll be so satisfied but the opposite occurs when you get older and then you look back and you're like, oh, I, I'm, what am I waiting for? I'm waiting to realize something that hasn't been realized. And that's a very big problem. So do that while you're, you're, you're young and poor and kids and someone is still willing to take care of you, you know, <laughs> someone's right? willing to forgive your mistakes. Yeah. Right. And also just like, I, I took on a lot of responsibility as a teenager and I'm not, I don't regret it because I think that that was the right thing to do. But I'm just saying like the ability for me to just be like, start a job for two months and be like, nope, or the ability for me to duck off and just do something, and nope. Like, be careful what you bind yourself to, like getting in car payments, getting in debt, those things. Mm-hmm. You're you're holding yourself down in a way that, you know. But also don't go so hard on the freedom thing. It's like, I want no commitments. Don't give me a lease. I'm going to, you know, have zero commitments. There's a line there. Yeah, just like, okay, there's, there's some reality there. All right, you guys. So I want to know what's on your mind. Tell us, what is it you guys want to do? What makes you happy? And be honest with yourself. Be like, you know what? Really, when I just do this, I'm happy. There's probably an application for it. There's probably a future for you in that domain. And if you're like, oh, I feel all the pressure that I need to do X, Y, and Z, but I really just love doing parkour, you just do parkour, just double down on what makes you happy. And eventually some of these things will manifest because you're probably the limitation. Your imagination is probably the limitation as to how you can make that work for you. so, I, yeah, I want to say as closing that what you're saying is if you have a passion and you really do enjoy it and it's one of those, I'll, I'll do this thing for 13 hours and then the next day I want to do it again, regardless of what that is short of drugs, um, there is, there is a way that you can make that your career. Mm-hmm. You are your own limit if you're not willing to look in that and say, Oh, actually, here's the very tiny niche that I can work in, right? Um, the easiest example is like video games. We now have Twitch streamers who are quite literally netting five hundred thousand dollars a month playing video games. Mm. Now they are they are a far outlier. That was unheard of but five yeah, years ago. Yeah, five years ago there would have been no way you could make that much money playing video right. games. People wouldn't right. even spend ninety nine cents on an app. They're like, up for ninety nine cents. <laughs> Remember? Yes. Like, yes, exactly. And I'd be like, well, you think it's a dollar. You spend more like, <laughs> literally when you drive your car down the street to check your mail uh, and come back. Uh, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, if you've got a passion and, you, and, and not everything, pays. not everything is exactly like that or pays well, but there is, the, it's worth taking another look at. If everybody else is like, you can't make money doing that, I would, I would challenge you to double down on it, look at it and be like, actually, can I do this? And if I do this, what's the upside to that? Can I make a living from it? And the other last hack I would leave you with is if you're thinking, <laughs> well, I love this thing, but it, I, it really doesn't pay, okay? And usually those are the arts, right? Yep. You love this thing, it really doesn't pay. Then your other big lever and your big life hack is time for money and increasing the amount of money you can get paid for doing things in the short term. 
thinking that you need to go to work. The gig economy has solved this. Thinking that you need to go to work, you need to learn freelance, or you need to learn a skill that pays a very high hourly rate or project-based rate where you can go and do that work. It has to be something you don't mind and you can and you can do really good at so that you're working you know, four hours a day on average and then you have the rest of your day instead of being like, well, I like you know this type of art, but I still have to work on nine to five. No, the hack then is you find out what it is, how you can make money and reduce your overhead so that you can spend time doing what you really love to do and only have to put a minimal amount of time for work in. And that means less overhead or higher income per hour. And I think higher income per hour scales way better than, way easier. than overhead. Also far more enjoyable because mm-hmm. your grit style, you mean like, I just, I just got to suffer this for an hour and I make enough money to like fund my hobbies. Yep. It's all, you know, it's one hour. Yep, so, exactly. Agree. Hit us up if you got questions. We're we're thriving. Or I think that should be recognized. We're all incredibly happy and mm. and can survive and we want to help our people get there too. But it it's a little it's a bit of a road. I mean I it can be, for sure. But you have time. Thinking you need to do it in your twenties is not that's rare. Very rare. So thanks, Travis. Yeah, yeah. All right guys, thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next time. I've been amazing.